0: We're going to continue with scripture reading from the book of Acts, chapter 17, verse 235. And it's reading out of the ESV. You want to stand? Now from Miletus, he went to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God." which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and that those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive the word of the Lord.
1: It's my joy to be with you tonight. My words are for all of us, for all of our benefit. Um, they are primarily directed toward John and Anvesh. In some ways, this may be compared to what a wedding would be like. You are witnesses to these things. You are witnesses of these things. Um, it is my prayer that you would take them seriously, and uh, the charge, the commitment that you are making, that you, that you would uh, hold these men to these things we are talking about today. Uh, I will be in two passages. I will be finishing, finishing in the passage that we were just in, in Acts chapter 20. I want to start with uh, something. This is actually a quote from a book by Oz Guinness, and it's called The Call. So he, he talks about a primary and a secondary calling. And he says, our primary calling as followers of Christ is by him, to him, and for him. First and foremost, we are called to someone, God, not to something such as motherhood, politics, or teaching, or we could add, being an elder. You are called to someone, first and foremost, not to something. Or to somewhere. So even saying, I'm called to this church, or the inner city, or Mongolia, or India, you are called to someone. Our secondary calling, considering who God is as sovereign, is that everyone, everywhere, and everything should think, speak, live, and act entirely for him. We can therefore properly say as a matter of secondary calling that we are called to homemaking or to the practice of law or to art history, but these and other things are always the secondary, never the primary calling. They are callings rather than the calling. They are our personal answer to God's address, our response to God's summons. Secondary callings matter, but only because the primary calling matters most. It's very significant. Uh, And if there is a calling, there is a caller. He makes this point, and the caller is the triune God. And if we forget the caller and the first calling to us, the second calling doesn't matter at all. Any callings we have don't matter. So we are talking, just to be clear here, about that category, that second calling category tonight, which is eldership. It's not at all to minimize it and say this is a small calling. It is saying, though, our calling, though, to be a son of God, a daughter of God, far outweighs that. And if we reverse those two, and the second callings become a first calling in our life, it will be disastrous. And so a charge to you men, John and Anvesh, is to remember that there is a caller, and the first calling is to be a follower of Christ. Secondary callings are in response to that first calling in your life. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. If you have your Bibles, if you could follow along with me, it will be good to see these things. Going to be in passages you have seen before. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17 reads this. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So, in the context of Hebrews, in our context tonight, as we are speaking about elders, this would be the leaders we're talking about. This is not a charge to you as people, but it is something you do need to obey. Is Tonight we are ordaining elders, and when it says that they are watching over your souls, the idea is over Seeing, watching over, your soul is the most precious possession that you have. And isn't it God's good graciousness that the most precious thing that you have, God would say, I will gift the church with people whose responsibility it will be to watch over that. So to resist that and say, I don't want that, I don't need that, It says it will be of no advantage to you. But something in this text, since I'm speaking to you men primarily, is this. It says here, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, meaning you need to do it either way. So if the people let you do your job with joy, it's grace and you can thank God for those moments. And I am praying that there will be many moments of joy like that. But if it's groaning to your soul and the people create great hardship for you, you still have to do your job. And so a charge to you is this. You are not permitted to leave your post simply because it's a post that has come with great groaning and the people have not made your job easy. You have to do it either way. It's one of the very difficult things about this calling this secondary calling that we have it says that you will have to give an account before the lord so part of this calling is constantly remembering i am going to have to answer for how i live and how i respond and what i do in this i want to move now in the towards the front of the new testament to the book of first timothy first timothy Chapter 3, we read that the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Overseer, someone to watch over your soul. Again, someone can say, I don't want anybody watching over me as if it's a micromanager. That's not the picture at all. It's someone who's guarding your soul, watching it so that you will be preserved and that you will make it sound and whole and healthy. And anyone in their right mind would say, I want that. I desperately need that. And it says if somebody wants this, it's a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. And then it lists a group of things. I just want to mention that the, the Greek verb forms here are in the present tense. And here's the idea being presented is that this verb tense form is primarily not about time. It's about point of view. It's viewpoint. And and the analogy uh, people use in describing it is like a parade passing in front of you. You're not watching the front of the parade. You're not watching the end of the parade. You're watching what's passing right in front of you. So saying an overseer must be these things, it doesn't mean he never was something else, like he was born perfect. That's not what it's talking about. So it's not saying he can never have lost its temper. It means when I'm looking at an overseer, the parade passing from me, this is what I see, and I would describe the person like this. I might describe their past in a very different way, but this is the parade I see passing in front of me. So, I want to talk about two things. One is, what is an overseer? The second thing is, what does an overseer do? 1 Timothy is primarily saying, this is an overseer. So at its core, these are the components that make up an overseer, qualities built into one. It doesn't say necessarily what they do, though. So it's almost like a tool, and you could say, what is this tool? It's a, take your pick, it's a chainsaw. Here's the chain, here's the, and you go on and on, the carburetor. What does it do? That's a different thing, and we're going to talk about that next. So what is it? Well, the parade passing in front of me, the life that I can see coming in front of me, I trust that as a church you've taken this job seriously and you've examined the lives of the men here and you'd said these are these things here because if they're not these things, they shouldn't be filling this role. For myself, I'm doing this in good faith tonight. I would not be doing this if I didn't believe John and I didn't believe Anvesh that you meet these standards. The parade walking in front of me of your lives is what's being described here. The elders would not have said this should happen here if this wasn't a reality. I am trusting and I believe it's true that you as a church would affirm these same things, that this is a reality. This is what we're seeing. So just to remind us, it says, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. There's actually two parts here. The first part is basically the people who know this person well, what they see. This is what the church is saying, we see this in you. It doesn't guarantee you will always be these things, though. So later on in Acts, when we read, watch your lives and your doctrine closely, one of the words today is these things that currently people are saying you are. You need to stay these things. And what that means is you also need overseers in your life. You are not, because of today, somehow vaulted in a category that you can't sin and that you couldn't be these things. That uh, the the number of people who've had a tragedy because what they were is not what they are anymore. The list is goes on forever. So remembering your first calling as a son of God, being quick to repent when you do sin, watching your life and doctrine. These are the things that make you what you are, but remember that my life is basically a parade in front of me, but it's not just people who know me well, because it goes on and says, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Not just people who know you really well, but people who don't know you, they need to think well of you, not meaning they will love the gospel you preach not meaning they might not slander your name, but it means that your life must be above reproach. So not only are we talking about tonight then behavior within the church community, we are talking about behavior outside of the church community. It matters a great deal. The reputation of the church, really, while it rests with all the people within the church, it rests in a special way with the leaders in the church. You need to take this very seriously, that before outsiders, they would be able to say, yep, if I think about it, I'm not seeing something different. I might not like what he believes, but he is a man who holds firm to his convictions and he's not living a lie. So that's what an elder is, at his, the, the pieces that make an elder an elder. And even though we talked about it in Hebrews of what an elder does, we haven't really dove into it like what we just heard in the scripture. So I'd like to go to the book of Acts now. This was written by Paul. He is making his way urgently to, uh, to Jerusalem. And so he does not want to stop in Ephesus because he knows if I stop, I will have to stay longer And I would love to stay longer, but I need to go somewhere that the Holy Spirit is urging me on. But he stops because I have to meet with the elders. And I'm going to be talking to them as an elder. And I'm going to be reminding them, this is what my life looked like. And I want you to look at my life as a life you should be imitating. Because in a sense, the ball is being handed to the elders. Even though they had it, he's saying, you won't see my face again. You need to do the things I was doing. So we talked about what an elder is at core and just the word again, just to emphasize it, what the parade people have seen watching you through, a man not given to drunkenness, hospitable, uh, someone who is a man of one woman, all these things, because you are them now isn't a guarantee that you will be them. You need to watch your lives. You can trust that God's good grace will be working though and the Holy Spirit will working to keep you in this spot. And I would trust that as people, who love these men, we will be praying hard that the Lord would keep them. Here we're talking about, though, what an elder does. So Paul says, you yourselves know, I'm in verse 18, how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. He's saying, you've been able to watch the parade that passed in front of you. And you can think back to the very beginning when I got here. You've watched it all. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials. So, this is going to take a little bit of time as we walk through this, but I just want you to see this. Primarily, you are called by a caller, and Paul is saying, I was serving the Lord. That's my serving. So you are serving the church. You are watching over souls, but you have to remember who you are working for. You are working for the Lord. It's his church. It's not your church. So we are serving him. And I served with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Paul didn't choose that. He didn't pick that and say, This is how I'd like my ministry to go, is where I go. I'd like other people to always follow in my wake and try to mess it up. We don't get to pick our hardships. Because if we did, we would all do the same thing, wouldn't we? I choose none. You will also have something. It's not going to be plots of the Jews. It will be something, and it won't be consistent in your life. You will have seasons, but you need to know this. There will be something like this that you face, and it will bring tears to you at different times. There will be enemies always of the gospel, and it doesn't mean that it's a terrible job. It's one that anybody serving who loves the Lord says, I am so glad I'm doing this. However, you will have your own plots of the Jews, that you are facing and in even the same way we read in Hebrews where it says let them serve with joy and not groaning again Paul here is saying saying I had a lot of groaning I still had to do the job it was very hard so you are being called to something it doesn't mean you will always like what you're being called to how I did not shrink From declaring to you anything that was profitable. So, teaching something that is profitable is, I could help you. I'm watching over your soul. I could help you. The thing when he says, I didn't shrink is sometimes what would help you, I won't wanna share it because for some reason it will be hard to do it. Maybe it's going to be embarrassing to do it, maybe it's gonna make you mad to say it maybe it's just very countercultural and reputation wise i'd prefer not to look like i'm living in the stone ages so all of us face this pressure at times but we're talking to elders now is a particular pressure is a pressure to shrink back pull back from what would help people And the church here is asking you to do this because they don't want you to shrink back and they're expecting that you won't shrink back. And you will have pressure to shrink back because it is always the easier choice. I can't remember who I was talking to last night, but a statement I sometimes make is pick your pain. So the pain of a short-term, hard conversation that leads to health And life, or the very long term pain of shrinking back and things never get solved, and you're always dealing with it, and your people aren't helped. So, Paul is saying, You know, you've watched the parade that walked in front of you of my life, and I never shrank back. I have had great joy with Pastor Andrew, who's at the church I was pastoring now watching him certain situations happen and thinking somebody says something and just thinking mm, something something is going to have to happen because of that and being able to look at him and he makes eye contact with me and i know you're thinking the same thing i'm thinking and i'm so glad you're not someone who shrinks back so john and anvesh we are calling you to be brave That's the calling of an elder. Be a brave man. Don't shrink back. It will help no one. And you will have to give an account for your soul. And you don't want to say, I was a fearful man and I was afraid what the people would do. That's what Aaron said. Do you remember that? I was afraid... Because Moses calls him and he says, what did you do? How did this happen? How did you let the people run free? He says, I was afraid. And so I listened to the people. He says, and I was teaching you in public and from house to house. So Paul had something, and you imagine Paul preaching in churches. They didn't have buildings like this, but he had a lecture hall. Do you remember? He was speaking in a lecture hall. So they would have had assemblies, but he was also going to houses. So your ministry doesn't stop here. It happens everywhere with the people and the idea you can imagine is saying I need to get to the houses of the people. I need to go visit people, spend time with them. So again we talk about what an elder is, just that core makeup of them. What do they do? Well they do ministry when the church is gathered but they do ministry when the church is not gathered and they go to the people and they find them and they get into their life. And so you are being called to do that. And I trust, knowing you both, you will do that well. And trust knowing your wives, they will celebrate and find joy in that. It says, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. What are we about ultimately? Well, it doesn't matter the cultural situation Um, One of the joys of this church is you have many, you are diverse racially, which is a picture of the kingdom of God as a whole. Paul is saying, you saw it, and I was working with all people, not making distinctions, but I had one message. No matter who I went to, repentance in God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I proclaimed. And then he talks about his own calling and what the Holy Spirit, again, as a secondary calling in his life because he's called first as a son of God. He says, the Holy Spirit's moving me on to Jerusalem and I have to go. Because I'm sure the people in Ephesus as they're hearing this, they're thinking, why don't you just stay? That would help us all out. Keep going from house to house. Keep doing the hard conversations. We'll do the easy ones. And Paul says, I have to go. It's always the way in the church, isn't it? You talked about Ray and how much he's meant here and said he's not able to be here today because of health reasons. For all of us, there comes a point where we say, I'm older and I, not, I, I don't do what I used to do. So younger people need to come in who are willing to do what the older people did and imitate them. So Paul is moving forward here. And he says, he says, I do know this, in every city the Holy Spirit testifies to me that imprisonment and afflictions await me, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's the exact same calling you've received. It doesn't mean you'll be the one necessarily preaching every Sunday, but our lives are to be a testimony of the gospel of the grace of God. That's what it's about. So our goal ultimately isn't to build the church and have a large church. Sometimes faithfulness means things actually go the opposite direction. Say so that's a hard calling. We don't pick the seasons we live in. You always have to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He says, Now I know that none of you among whom I've gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. You're not going to see me again. I'm leaving you with a deposit and I'm trusting the deposit that you have will be working in your life and the Holy Spirit will be working I love what he did. He said, I testified to the gospel of the grace of God. And then the next line back uh, further, he says, testifying to the kingdom. We're calling people into a kingdom that has a king. And it's a great kingdom. But remembering, we are not trying to be fit into this world. We live in another kingdom. And to be proclaiming what is life in that kingdom, but to be modeling that. What does it look like for a son of God to work, to raise children, to be married, a son of the kingdom? What does that look like? He says, therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. That is something everyone who stands as an elder hopefully would be able to say, it's not true of all elders, though. It really isn't. And there are times where we will miss it. But Paul is able to say, I discharged my duties well. And if there's something in your life that you're going to be held to account for, it's not because I shrank back in my job description. I did my job. So, John and Anvesh, you need to do your job because you are men, like Hebrews 13 said, who will have to give an account. And that's not a bad thing. We don't serve a cruel taskmaster, but a calling, a calling from him, he equips so that the called ones can actually do the job and find joy in it, like the ones with the talent who can say, Master, you gave me five. Look what happened. We got five more. I discharged my duties. I'm innocent of the blood of this. Look what happened. I was faithful in what you called me to. Paul says, I'm innocent. I'm not guilty. Don't be guilty. You're being called not to something that we think, boy, they're going to fail. Something that we're watching as we watch the parade of your life, we've said, they're going to make it. We're praying that they're making it, but that's not a guarantee. You have to persevere in these things. Now notice what he says again. Why am I innocent? For... I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. He's done that twice now. What it seems to indicate is that there's a tendency among all humans, but certainly among elders, to shrink back and to be afraid. So he said it twice now. So we will emphasize it one more time. Don't be afraid. You will be pushed to be afraid. And I would encourage you at those moments when you know the right thing to do, but you don't want to do it, to call somebody up who's gone before you, who hasn't been afraid, and say, can I call you? Can I talk to you for a little bit? I can't tell you the number of times I called Ned Barubi and said, can I just talk to you for a little bit? And I was telling Jason earlier today, one of the most deeply encouraging things to me was hearing from somebody else, yep, he would usually chuckle when I told him the situation. He wasn't laughing because it was funny. He was laughing because oh, I've seen that before. And he would say I've had that about six times. And then he might say something like this, none of the times it went well. And you think, how is that encouraging? That sounds... (laughs) Super discouraging to hear that. What was encouraging is this. I'm talking to someone that I love that loves me, and he's made it, and his last words were, go get him." You think, okay, and it might go really bad, but I have to do it because I know the right thing, and God is watching me, and he called me to the job. Therefore, I did not shrink back. The whole church is asking you to be brave. And bravery doesn't mean popularity. There will be times you will be extremely unpopular for being brave. It doesn't mean everyone will like you. But ultimately you want one person to like you. And it's the Lord Jesus, the caller of this second calling in your life. He says, Pay careful attention. Oh, I, backing up, he says, I declared you the whole counsel of God. Well-rounded people know God in all his beauty and dimensions. And they're healthy. A healthy life is healthy in all areas. We're not looking to build specialists in this church. We want health. And so it means that you will have to figure out as elders what's a healthy diet for the people and you have to preach everything. Where? Here and house to house. Privately and publicly. It says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. So, John Anvesh you need to pay attention to yourself. What are you supposed to pay attention to? He doesn't say, but I think we can figure it out, right? And I think what he's saying is, that parade, what an elder is, watch that. All those things that were described here. So, the man of God, pay attention that the man of God actually is a man of God. And the things that go into a person relating to God, make sure those things keep happening. So, you are praying. You are in God's word. You are being devoted to your wife and your family. You are relating well in work. You are not becoming dishonest in little things. You are truthful in your word. That's paying attention to yourself. You are not watching things that you'd say, I shouldn't be watching this. You're not starting to become a dabbler in things that are a waste of time. You're saying, no, my time is precious. It's a gift from God. So watching yourself, he doesn't limit it to one thing. Like, watch your theology as if theology is separated from life. It's pay attention to yourself. You are, in this sense, that sounds really weird, your first ministry field. Your mission field, John, your first mission field is you. Make sure it's thoroughly evangelized. Thoroughly Christian. Anvesh, your first mission field is you. Make sure you have evangelized yourself. And that you are thoroughly Christian in it. He says, pay a careful attention to yourself, but not just you. There's a people here. All the flock. So you have a whole people that you are overseeing, watching. Not to tell them what to do, but to help them with what they are. The same way you're paying careful attention yourself to pay a careful attention to a friend and say, "It seems like this is a tendency that's not going well. Can we talk about that?" And if you say, "I don't want to do that. I don't want to talk to them about that." Remember, I didn't shrink back from anything that would be profitable. He says here, I know, oh, by the way, he just emphasized to care for the church of God. This is not your church. He says, which he obtained with his own blood. The purchase price was our Savior's blood. It's worthy of our best then. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Again, we don't get to pick what happens under our watch as we're overseeing. And he says, I know something's going to happen here. Fierce wolves are coming. And I would pray that never happens here. I really would. I would pray that uh, the Lord would grant you a wolf-free season. I don't know what will happen next here. When wolves do come, it's your job to deal with them. And it is one of those areas you will want to shrink back and you will want to say, I didn't sign up for this. And the answer is, you were called to this. The caller called you. The Holy Spirit made you an overseer because he knew I'll put what's in you necessary to deal with the wolves. You will be able to make it. So even though, in a sense, you are being made overseers by the church tonight, the Holy Spirit makes you overseers. And that's deeply comforting because in any situation you could say, God, you did this. Because God called, I think we're going to make it. Even though I feel thoroughly inadequate for these wolves that have come in, And I feel like I might, if you go toe-to-toe with a wolf, you might lose your life. Adam should have gone and dealt with the snake. He wouldn't. You need to. He says, From among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. This is a harder word. Do you remember what I said in Timothy? The fact that the parade in front of past, in front of your eyes, looks clear right now, doesn't guarantee what the future looks like. Someone can drastically change of what we see. Paul's saying, from among the elders, this will happen. So the bravery doesn't just extend to the people. The people are saying, among the elders, you need to be brave also and watch for wolves. That's very difficult. And you're being called to this. And the church is asking you to do this. He says, therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Be alert. Be wide awake. The church is under your watch. Be open. All the time. Like... Don't have a closed sign that shows up and say, I'm, I'm just, this is a family fun night and I'm not an elder tonight. You're always overseeing all the time. You don't have a closed sign. You do have a family that you're loving and the Lord will have to give you grace because that falls into that son of God category. What does it look like for a healthy son of God? But as an elder being alert means you don't have those moments where you slide into, I don't have to pay attention right now because I'm on vacation. Like, spirit, not meaning you can't go on vacation, but I'm spiritually on vacation here, and so therefore I'm not paying attention. We're always paying attention, all the time. He says, now, now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Paul knows, I just said very, very difficult things and who can do this? And he's saying, I commend you to God. God can give you strength to do these things. And he has a word of grace and Paul's saying, I commend you to that word. I am trying to pull the two together saying, God, would you pay careful attention to these two men and would you cause their word to dwell in them richly so that What they're being called to is actually what happens in the end. And so at that day, when you stand before the Lord and you give an account, you can be like the servant with the talents, say, Lord, you gave me this. I'm stunned. This is what happened. Why did it happen? Because I was commended to you and to your grace and your gospel and your word. And there will come a day, just like for these elders, when you will have those that you love are doing something very Paul-like and saying, I can't do it any longer for whatever reason. And you are then having to go it alone in days where you'd say, I don't want to go it alone. I wish I had so-and-so with me or not. But again, we don't get to pick. You've been called to this time, this season, this place, and you're being charged to do it as a son of God who's been called to this task. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are here because we love ultimately you, and we are here because we love your church. And we want to declare to you that we take the church seriously, we take your name seriously, and we want, Lord, you to help these two men be overseers. Parts that are missing in their life, that maybe because of lack of experience, Lord, would you pour grace into them and let them be more than they are? We pray that you would help them. We pray that you would give them bravery, that they would not be weak, that they would not shrink back. I pray that you would give them wisdom that goes way beyond the things that have been put into them even up to this day. Give them stature and standing. The things that were said of John the Baptist, the things that were said of you, Lord Jesus, is that uh, you grew in grace and knowledge and favor with people and with God. We are asking that John and Anvesh would grow in favor with people. And we're asking that they would grow in favor with you. Would you smile on them and be gracious unto them? Would you lift up the light of your countenance on them, Lord? Would you fill them with your Holy Spirit? I pray that you would help them as they work with the church publicly. Help them know how to do that. I pray that you would show them things that they're good at and things that other elders are good at and where they don't need to take a lead in. Show them where to take a lead and where not to take a lead. Lord, I ask you to give them favor house to house. I pray that they would know how to counsel and how to lead and how to watch over souls. Father, we ask you to protect them from the evil one. I pray you protect their own self. You protect their marriages You'd protect them in their work and their studies. Please keep them from evil, warn them well ahead of time. I pray that you would put brothers and sisters in their life who would admonish them and you would put a spirit in them that would listen quickly when they need to turn and they need to repent. Father, thank you that this day is here. We thank you for these two men. We thank you that you are giving a gift to your church we want to receive this gift, and we're asking you to do more than we could ask or imagine with them. And we say these things, we pray these things in faith, in Christ's name, amen.